Let me now address the topic, the resurgence of piracy, a phenomenon of modern times. Most of the oceans are under no state's jurisdiction, acting both as a barrier and a conduit for threats to the security of people everywhere, with piracy and armed robbery at sea, having once again become the most prominent maritime threat. There are critical choke points for maritime traffic, in particular the Strait of Malacca, transited by around 50,000 vessels annually, transporting about 50% of the total volume of oil transported by sea, and the Gulf of Aden, with about 22,000 vessels annually coming from or sailing to the Suez Canal, carrying more than 12% of that volume. Pirate attacks basically occur in four major geographical areas, the Gulf of Aden and off the coast of Somalia, the Gulf of Guinea, near Nigeria and the Niger River Delta, the Malacca Strait between Indonesia and Malaysia, and the Indian subcontinent, particularly between India and Sri Lanka. According to the International Maritime Organization, the total number of acts of piracy and armed robbery against ships so far reported to the organization since it began compiling relevant statistics in 1984 was 5,227 by 31st December 2009. It is, however, also believed that in general incidents of piracy and armed robbery at sea are considerably underreported. The actual number of such incidents might thus be even much higher. The region off the coast of Somalia has in recent years become the leading area plagued by pirate attacks, some taking place more than 500 nautical miles off the coast of Somalia and some even around 1,000 nautical miles off that coast. In the year 2009, maritime piracy reached its highest level since the Piracy Reporting Center of the International Maritime Bureau began tracking piracy incidents in 1992. A total of 406 incidents of piracy and armed robbery at sea were reported, with 217 incidents attributed to Somali pirates. This surge of sea robbery is unprecedented and perhaps the most significant eruption of such criminal activity in 200 years, with pirates making no discrimination among vessels. Many pirates seek to justify their actions as a response to illegal foreign fishing and the dumping of toxic waste in Somali waters, respectively the countries. 200 nautical mile exclusive economic zone. Today's pirates constitute a serious threat not only for those at the front line, that is seafarers, fishermen and shipping companies, but also for the international community at large, due to the repercussions they have on world trade and international security. Current day piracy has been estimated to cost between 13 and 16 billion dollars every year, a figure that could even be substantially higher in the future. This resurgence of piracy and armed robbery against ships is attributable to many factors, from the poverty of coastal populations and desire for financial gain, to the weakness of some states' policing functions, or even, as in the case of Somalia, the absence of an effective government and economic collapse, to the deficiencies of the legal environment characterized by both an insufficient legal framework and the lack of a response mechanism 
to counter piratical activities. Let us have a look at the history of piracy. What is commonly thought of as piracy has existed for thousands of years. Early historians have suggested that acts of piracy can be traced back to the beginnings of navigation, having been regarded only as one of the means of livelihood that the sea offered. The concept of piracy has, however, undergone an important evolution from that time until its codification in the 20th century. In antiquity, almost anyone who attacked another on the open sea was referred to as a pirate. It was only in the late Middle Ages that the word pirate began to be understood as sea thieves. The growth of modern international law in the post-Westphalian order had to take account of the rapid increase of piracy, which was most prevalent in the Mediterranean Sea and on the trade routes between Europe and the Americas, reaching its heyday during the 17th and 18th centuries. While piracy was cracked down as disturbing the commerce and friendship between different nations, privateering authorized by a sovereign was often openly encouraged and became the preferred method of plunder on the high seas. With trade flourishing in the relative calm after the demise of Napoleon, nations, however, began to increasingly view not only piracy, but also the activities of privateers or corsairs as detrimental to their commercial and national interests. Therefore, to counter a menace that affected all nations indiscriminately and th that could not be controlled by the normal means of diplomacy or warfare, the Declaration Respecting Maritime Law was signed in Paris in 1856, outlawing such state-sponsored piracy by stating that privateering is and remains abolished. Piracy dwindled to a controllable and almost unnoticeable activity at the end of the 19th century, only to make a strong comeback though in a different cast in recent years. Indeed, at the turn of the 19th century, and for the greater part of the 20th century, piracy seemed to have faded away into the mists of history. Though a phenomenon as old as shipping and maritime trade, it was thought to have forever been eradicated from most of the seven seas. The crime of piracy thus also began to disappear from some criminal codes or was not included therein in the first place. In the 1960s, piracy, however, slowly started its surge towards emerging once more as a regional, if not a global, menace by the 1980s. Southeast Asia first took center stage in this unfolding drama, only recently to be replaced by the region off the coast of Somalia as the piracy hotspot of the world. The notion of piracy was first codified by the 1958 Geneva Convention on the High Seas and later by the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea of 1982 in Articles 100 to 107 and 110, which almost literally repeat Articles 14 to 22 of the 1958 Convention. And these provisions are based on the preparatory work of the International Law Commission. Some countries, which are not yet parties to the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, 
are nevertheless bound by the 1958 Convention so that the respective articles state the international law on piracy currently in force. What is piracy? Under customary international law, there is no authoritative definition of piracy, and the municipal law of a number of countries is based on an extensive interpretation of that term, which has been defined as broadly as any armed violence at sea, which is not a lawful act of war. Many countries thus criminalize piracy that takes place in their own territorial waters, which is, however, not piracy under international law. Piracy is being circumscribed in a rather narrow manner in the aforementioned instruments. Article 15 of the 1958 Convention and Article 101 of the 1982 Convention define piracy as follows. A. Any illegal acts of violence or detention or any act of depredation committed for private ends by the crew or their passengers of a private ship or a private aircraft and directed on the high seas against another ship or aircraft or against persons or property on board of such a ship or aircraft, against a ship, aircraft, persons or property in a place outside the jurisdiction of any state, b. Any act of voluntary participation in the operation of a ship or of an aircraft with the knowledge of facts making it a pirate ship or aircraft, and c. Any act of inciting or intentionally facilitating an act described in the aforementioned subparagraphs. When drafting this definition, the International Law Commission had considered certain controversial points as to the essential features of piracy and reached the conclusion that the intention to rob, the so-called animus furandi, is not required, that acts of piracy may also be prompted by feelings of hatred or revenge and not merely by the desire for gain, and that the acts must be committed for private ends. The definition of piracy, as codified on the basis of the draft submitted by the International Law Commission, is thus quite limited. As already referred to, it only includes acts committed for private ends on the high seas and only undertaken by one ship or aircraft against another ship or aircraft. And this excluded some earlier conceptions of piracy that allowed for the crime to be constituted by acts committed on board a vessel by passengers or crew, so-called internal seizures. Such acts, when consisting even of holding the ship, its crew and the passengers for ransom, as a follow-up to the seizure, seizure are thus not covered. The same holds true for violence in internal waters, the territorial sea or archipelagic waters. Furthermore, the private ends criterion removes the tax on shipping for the sole purpose of achieving some political end from the concept of piracy under international law. And let me also add that acts of violence and depredation exerted by environmentally friendly groups or persons in connection with their quest for enhanced protection of the marine environment seem likewise to be excluded from the notion of piracy. The effectiveness of the rules on piracy, as enshrined in the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, 
has certainly suffered from the fact that these are limited to the high seas and the exclusive economic zone. Pirates are thus able to evade pursuit by crossing into the territorial sea, which constitutes a genuine problem. The geographical limitation regarding the applicability of the rules on piracy has to a certain extent been aggravated by the fact that the 1982 Convention on the Law of the Sea has granted the right to establish a territorial sea of 12 nautical miles instead of the previously most widely accepted limit of 3 nautical miles. In the past years, moreover, most attacks against ships have also taken place when transiting the territorial sea or when in port or at anchor. The International Maritime Bureau has therefore, for statistical purposes, adopted a broader definition than the one retained by the 1982 Convention. Under that definition, piracy and armed robbery at sea is an act of boarding or attempting to board any ship with apparent intent to commit theft or any other crime with the apparent intent or capability to use force in the furtherance of that act. So this definition covers all actual or attempted acts of robbery against ships perpetrated in the territorial sea and archipelagic waters as well as attacks against ships at anchor or berth. Petty thefts are excluded unless the thieves are armed. The International Maritime Organization in 2001 adopted the Code of Practice for the Investigation of the Crimes of Piracy and Armed Robbery Against Ships, which defines piracy as unlawful acts as set forth in Article 101 of the 1982 Convention on the Law of the Sea. Armed robbery is defined as any unlawful act of violence or detention or any act of depredation or threat thereof other than an act of piracy directed against a ship or against persons or property on board such a ship within a state's jurisdiction over such offenses. This clear distinction between piracy and armed robbery against ships also makes it evident that the special jurisdictional rules on piracy, that is universal jurisdiction, are not applicable to the latter. Piracy is the oldest and one of the few crimes where universal jurisdiction has been generally recognized under customary international law, whereas universal jurisdiction for other offenses depends upon specific requirements. The right to take enforcement measures against pirates is vested in all states. Any state has therefore the right to capture and punish pirates under its own municipal law, even when the accused pirate is not a national of the state and the crime was neither committed against its nationals nor within its territorial waters. States accepted universal jurisdiction over piracy because pirates indiscriminately attacked all states' ships and were a threat to everyone. Universal jurisdiction with respect to pirates was theoretically justified by applying to pirates the concept of hostes humani generis, that is, enemies of all mankind. According to Article 107 of the 1982 Law of the Sea Convention, a seizure on account of piracy may, however, only be carried out by warships or military aircraft or other ships or aircraft clearly marked and identifiable as being on government service 
and authorized to that effect. The courts of the seizing state may decide on the penalties to be imposed and determine the action to be taken with regard to the seized vessel and property, subject to the rights of third parties acting in good faith. The language of the respective Article 105 of the 1982 Convention, which employs the term may, seems to indicate that the exercise of jurisdiction by the seizing state's court is a possibility, not an obligation, notwithstanding the duty to cooperate in the repression of piracy laid down in Article 100 of the Convention. As the rule in Article 105 does not establish the exclusive jurisdiction of the seizing state's courts, courts of other states are not prevented from exercising jurisdiction under conditions they determine. In any case, the rules of international law on action to be taken against pirates permit action, but are far from ensuring that such action is effectively taken. It has been stated that the labeling of pirates as hostas, humani generis, enemies of all mankind, is neither accurate, nor can it provide a good reason to apply universal jurisdiction to piracy, because a pirate did not need to be truly the enemy of all mankind to be found guilty of piracy and have universal jurisdiction applied, nor was piracy more heinous than a number of other serious crimes. Applying universal jurisdiction to piracy had the potential to cause international tension as it might be used merely to harass political opponents or for aims extraneous to criminal justice. Furthermore, the right of a pirate to due process was violated in particular, as he could not know in advance to whose law he would be subject when a country exercised universal jurisdiction. The punishments for piracy greatly varying, ranging from three years in prison to life imprisonment or even capital punishment, which had been the universal penalty in previous centuries. In spite of these arguments, which do not seem without some merit as regards the right to due process, the principle of universal jurisdiction continues to be upheld by the international community with good cause. Let me now turn to the question of the repression of piracy. The basic provision dealing with the repression of piracy is Article 100 of the 1982 Convention, which literally corresponds to Article 14 of the 1958 Geneva Convention, according to which all states shall cooperate to the fullest possible extent in the repression of piracy on the high seas or in any other place outside the jurisdiction of any state. The question has arisen whether this regulates the seizure of pirates as a right or a duty, whether the parties to the 1982 Convention are obliged to adopt and implement anti-piracy legislation. The view seems justified that the suppression of piracy, besides being a right, is also an international duty. As the International Law Commission pointed out in its commentary with respect to that provision, any state having an opportunity of taking measures against piracy and neglecting to do so would be failing in a duty laid upon it by international law. Obviously, the state must be allowed a certain latitude as to the measures it should take to this end in any individual case. 
The problem of preventing and repressing piracy and armed robbery against ships has been drawing increasing attention from the international community, particularly since the early 1990s, with the International Maritime Organization playing a leading role in providing guidance to states and the shipping community with respect to this phenomenon. In view of the increasing number of pirate attacks, the International Maritime Organization already in November 1983 adopted a resolution noting with great concern the increasing number of incidents involving piracy and armed robbery against ships and recognizing the grave danger to life and the grave navigational and environmental risks to which such incidents can give rise. Governments concerned were urged as a matter of highest priority to take all measures necessary to prevent and suppress acts of piracy and armed robbery from ships in or adjacent to their waters, including the strengthening of security measures. In the following years, the international maritime organizations adopted further recommendations to governments regarding the prevention and suppression of piracy and armed robbery against ships. It also dealt with measures to prevent unlawful acts against passengers and crews on board ships and further gave guidance to ship owners and ship operators, shipmasters, and crews. It seems obvious that the eradication of piracy and armed robbery at sea not only calls for coordination among the international community, but also for the close involvement of regional actors. An excellent example is found in the Strait of Malacca, one of the world's vital maritime passages, an area which until 2005 was the main hotspot for piracy and was in that year even classified as a war zone for purposes of indemnity coverage. In 2004, the Regional Cooperation Agreement on Combating Piracy and Armed Robbery Against Ships in Asia was adopted with the purpose of strengthening regional cooperation and coordination of all states affected to effectively prevent and suppress piracy and armed robbery against ships, expressly reaffirming the respective duty of states under the 1982 Convention on the Law of the Sea. And the central feature of that agreement, which entered into force in 2006 and to which 16 countries are party, is the establishment of an information sharing center in Singapore, which also deals with information relating to individuals and transnational organized criminal groups. And this agreement is certainly a model worth considering for other reg regions affected by piracy. It should be noted that the Malacca Strait has seen a notable decline in attacks against shipping in recent years because by working together, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore and Thailand have cut the number of pirate attacks by more than half since 2004. Another increasing regional model has been created in the Gulf of Guinea, the Maritime Organization of Western Central Africa. In July 2008, through a memorandum of understanding, established an institutional framework for close cooperation on suppression of piracy and armed robbery, countering terrorism at sea, illegal unreported and unregulated fishing, drug trafficking, etc. A code of conduct concerning the repression of acts of piracy and armed robbery against ships in the Western Indian Ocean and the Gulf of Aden was adopted in Djibouti in January 2009 which is open for signature by the 21 countries in the region 
and has so far been signed by 12 states. That code provides for information sharing, interdicting ships suspected in engaging in acts of piracy or armed robbery, the apprehension and prosecution of suspects. Although much less plagued by piracy than other geographical regions, the member states of the Caribbean community in the CARICOM Maritime and Airspace Security Cooperation Agreement of 2008 expressly referred to piracy as well as hijacking, terrorism, illicit trafficking in narcotic drugs, etc., as an activity likely to compromise the security of a state party. The International Maritime Organization, through its Maritime Safety Committee, in June 2009, agreed on updated recommendations to governments for preventing and suppressing piracy and armed robbery against ships, and guidance to ship owners, ship operators, ship masters and crew, which includes a new annex aimed at seafarers, fishermen and other mariners who may be kidnapped or held hostage for ransom, based on the current United Nations guidance on surviving as a hostage. The Secretariat of the International Maritime Organization has also begun a review of existing national legislation to prevent and punish the crimes of piracy and armed robbery at sea as part of the organization's anti-piracy strategy in response to UN Security Council Resolution 1851 of 2008. That resolution noted with concern the lack of capacity, domestic legislation, and clarity about how to deal with pirates following their capture. And this problem has hindered more robust international action being taken against pirates off the coast of Somalia, and in some cases has led to pirates being released without facing justice. The steadily increasing danger for navigation in the Gulf of Aden off the coast of Somalia, as well as the outrage caused by pirate attacks on ships carrying humanitarian supplies to the Somali population has been decisive in prompting the international community into action in that region. In 2008, thus the Security Council passed several resolutions dealing with Somali piracy, each of these pursuant to Chapter 7 of the United Nations Charter, under which the Council may authorize the use of military force against threats to international security. And these resolutions aim at remedying the limitations of the rules of current international law with respect to piracy as far as the application of the situation in Somalia is concerned and also provide a legal basis for interception operations by the warships of a large number of countries, including the United States, several European Union member states, China, India, Japan and Russia, patrolling the waters off the Gulf of Aden and the coast of Somalia. On June 2nd, 2008, the Security Council adopted Resolution 1816, expressing its grave concern at the threat that acts of piracy and armed robbery against the vessels posed to the prompt, safe and effective delivery of humanitarian aid to Somalia, the safety of commercial maritime routes and to international navigation. It also determined that the incidents of piracy and armed robbery against vessels in the territorial waters of Somalia and the high seas off the coast of Somalia exacerbate the situation in Somalia, which continues to constitute a threat to international peace and security in the region. It is important to observe that it is the situation in Somalia 
which constitutes the threat to international peace and security and not piracy and armed robbery as such. As in the Gulf of Aden, where international shipping must pass through a narrow corridor, pirates are able to launch attacks in international waters and then quickly return to Somali territorial waters, the Security Council, with the express consent of the transitional federal government of Somalia, authorized states cooperating with that government in the fight against piracy and armed robbery at sea off the coast of Somalia to enter the territorial waters of Somalia for that purpose in a manner consistent with such action permitted on the high seas with respect to piracy under relevant international law and to use under the same conditions all necessary means to repress acts of piracy and armed robbery. The basic effect of these provisions of Resolution 1816 is to make the rules of international law concerning piracy on the high seas applicable also to the territorial waters permitting inter-alien pursuit from the high seas into these waters or to counter violence against or aboard vessels occurring exclusively within Somalia's territorial sea. These provisions also clarify that states acting under these rules within the territorial waters of Somalia may use all necessary means, which is commonly associated with the general authorization to use military force. It has correctly been stated that international law has little to say about the manner in which piracy may be suppressed. Self-defense against armed attack or threat thereof seems to be a guiding principle of states, the navies of which are engaged in these anti-piracy efforts. Action against pirates can be assimilated to the exercise of the power to engage in police action on the high seas with respect to foreign vessels in accordance with international legal rules. It would, however, seem that in any case the use of force must be necessary, proportionate, and should be preceded by warning shots where practicable. As the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea has emphasized in a case before it, considerations of humanity must apply in the law of the sea as they do in other areas of international law. Furthermore, on 16 December 2008, the Security Council passed Resolution 1851, extending the authorization of military force to land-based operations on the mainland of Somalia. This resolution has since been renewed for a further period of 12 months. It also invites all states and regional organizations fighting piracy off the coast of Somalia to conclude special agreements or arrangements with countries willing to take custody of pirates in order to embark law enforcement officials, so-called shipwriters from the latter countries, in particular countries from the region, to facilitate the investigation and prosecution of piracy suspects. The exercise of third-state jurisdiction by shipwriters in Somali territorial waters is, however, subject to the advanced consent of the transitional federal government of that country and such agreements or arrangements must not prejudice the effective implementation of the Sewer Convention, that is, the Convention on the Suppression of Unlawful Acts Against the Safety of Maritime Navigation of 1988. Where a shipwright arrangement is in place, transfer of suspects from sea to shore is straightforward. 
they remain subject to the jurisdiction of the shipwriters' government throughout. Shipwriters have, by the way, already been used to great effect against drug smugglers in the Caribbean. It must be emphasized that the resolutions adopted by the Security Council were adopted on the basis of consent given by the transitional government of Somalia, pursuant to a request by the International Maritime Organization. The reference to the consent by the coastal state concerned greatly limits the revolutionary content of the resolutions as the activities authorized could also be conducted in the absence of any Security Council resolution on the basis of an agreement given by the coastal state. It is further to be noted that Resolution 1851 requires that any measure undertaken in Somali territory must be consistent with applicable international humanitarian and human rights law. It has been stated that the latter condition may greatly limit the scope of possible anti-piracy operations under the resolution, as under international humanitarian law, civilians may not be specifically targeted except in immediate self-defense. Pirates are, however, not combatants, but rather civilians. Still, Resolution 1851 broadens the scope of permissible hot pursuit, allowing pirates to be chased from the high seas into Somali waters and farther on onto dry land. The European Union since December 2008 has been conducting a military operation, Operation Atalanta, in support of the relevant Security Council resolutions. NATO, after having instigated two sh short-term missions against piracy off the co Somali coast in June 2009, decided to launch Operation Ocean Seal Shield, which is anticipated to run for quite some time, at least until the end of the present year. The international navies play a critical role in the prevention of piracy in Somalia and off the Somali coast, and it is considered vital that they remain. Their increased presence has certainly contributed to the fact that although the total number of incidents attributed to Somali pirates in 2009 has almost doubled as compared to the previous year, the number of successful hijackings is proportionally less. What is important is to provide assistance to East African states in developing and operating a network of small littoral and coastal forces and providing military training to, the, to Somali government forces so that they can prevent maritime piracy is certainly a step in the right direction. As pointed out, international law recognizes universal jurisdiction in case of piracy, which under the aforementioned Security Council resolutions also applies to seizures and arrests in the territorial sea of Somalia. The seizing states are, however, reluctant to exercise such broad powers by prosecuting and submitting to criminal proceedings in their courts the pirates and armed robberies arrested in view of legal complexities and in particular human rights implications. Thus, in a number of instances, pirates have been let free or not been detained in the first place. Member states of the European Convention on Human Rights are obviously concerned that pirates might request asylum 
in the respective countries, as they certainly would claim to risk torture or the death penalty if returned to Somalia. Furthermore, after pirates had served the sentence and been granted asylum, they also might ask for family reunion. No country would however be eager having to import pirate clans. Ideally, suspects should be tried in the country where they originated, but in the case of Somalia, this does, at least under present circumstances, not seem to be a realistic option. Flag states could, of course, prosecute the pirates, but in many cases, ships in the region fly flags of convenience of faraway countries. An option which has been made use of is to conclude bilateral agreements with a country in the region, defining procedures for the detention, transfer, and prosecution of persons suspected of having committed acts of piracy, as, for instance, the United States and the European Union have done with Kenya. And the latter agreement between the European Union and Kenya expressly provide that such transfer may only take place on conditions of humane treatment and that no one will be subjected to the death penalty, to torture, or to any cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment. In view of the fact that pirates are already operating far from the coast of Somalia, an agreement was also concluded by the European Union with the Seychelles based on the same conditions and framework as the agreement with Kenya. The Kenyan government has already stated that it will not accept any more seized Somali pirates to be tried in its courts and that it is considering to terminate the respective agreements. In, in the view of Kenya, the international community had not lived up to its promises to help that country with the burden of prosecuting and imprisoning pirates. The Security Council has since acknowledged the difficulties Kenya encounters in prosecuting suspected pirates in its national courts and imprisoning convicted persons, encouraging also its government to continue these efforts. With respect to the question whether part of the legal response of the international community to piracy should be the creation of an international mechanism, several suggestions have been made. These include the creation of special domestic chambers with international components, an entirely new international tribunal on the basis of a Security Council resolution following the pattern of the international criminal tribunals for the former Yugoslavia in Rwanda, the establishment of an African regional anti-piracy court in the same manner, the creation of a hybrid tribunal following the model of the Special Court for Sierra Leone, or amending the statutes of the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea or the International Criminal Court in The Hague by an international treaty. As regards the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea, ITLOS, it has to be borne in mind that at present it could deal with piracy issues only insofar as they relate to disputes between states or if illegal questions would be submitted to it on which it might render an advisory opinion. Amending the statutes of existing tribunals on a treaty basis would undoubtedly require a number of years and thus would not constitute a short or medium-term remedy for the present situation in Somalia. The question may be asked whether an enlargement of competence could also be effected by way of a Security Council resolution. The view has, however, also been put forth that international tribunals besides being expensive to operate, are not appropriate at all for dealing with a crime like piracy, a common crime that has existed for centuries, which is subject to universal jurisdiction 
and has been successfully prosecuted in national courts. To sum up, piracy has a very long history and was thought to have more or less become a matter of the past by the time the modern law of the sea was codified in the 20th century. Its resurgence, which threatens world trade and international security, is a phenomenon of modern times that seems to have caught the international community rather by surprise. Its response to piracy and armed robbery at sea has therefore only gradually developed and is still hampered by various factors. These include legislative gaps, as states have not implemented their obligations under the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea with respect to the suppression of piracy, as also noted with concern by the Security Council. There are furthermore legal complexities arising out of the need to harmonize measures against piracy and armed robbery against ships with international humanitarian and human rights instruments, as well as problems regarding coordination among the various naval units engaged in the fight against piracy and uncertainty to the extent to which warships can enforce coercive measures in order to suppress a common crime like piracy. At the same time, it also is to be emphasized that the International Maritime Organization has for years endeavored to design practical measures to deal with piracy and armed robbery against ships, as well as to draft relevant new international legal rules. And these efforts, together with those of regional states, have already borne fruit in the Malacca Strait and have been extended to East Africa, where they will hopefully likewise show positive results. Furthermore, the Security Council, as well as individual states, have been taking more robust action and an unprecedented armada is now patrolling some of the world's most strategically significant waterways. With respect to piracy off the coast of Somalia, it has rightly been emphasized that prevention is crucial. Until there is law and order on land, there will be anarchy off the coast. As the UN Secretary General has observed, in the longer term, the issue of piracy and armed robbery at sea off the coast of Somalia will be resolved only through an integrated approach that addresses the conflict, lack of governance, and absence of sustainable livelihoods on land in Somalia. It seems doubtful whether the international community will eventually decide to establish an international mechanism for the prosecution and punishment of suspected pirates. If there are impediments in this respect in national courts, those should thus be addressed as a matter of urgency and not be deferred in favor of attention to an international tribunal that may not be available anytime soon, if at all. What should not happen in any case is that pirates go free to the lack of proper legislation or political will. No matter how intimidating the presence of an international naval force may be, pirates will not be deterred if they know that there is no law to judge them. Thank you very much for your kind attention.